Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, reading together. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us look to him in prayer. Almighty, eternal God, our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, Lord, our hearts rejoice that we can leave the things of the world behind and once again be found in your presence together to study your word. And Lord, even as we come, we once again ask for fresh cleansing, washing in the blood of Christ. Lord, we constantly desire to be every whit clean before thee, that even this night as we gather, there's no hindrance, your Holy Spirit will work mightily in our hearts, in our midst. And Lord, we pray for every group that has gathered to study your word. We pray, we plead, O Lord, that you will feed your children tonight in a very special way that each one will leave this place having met with you in the word, growing in faith, growing in love, growing in obedience. Lord, let this night be a night that is wasted. So Father, we come once again asking that your Holy Spirit be our teacher, the words of men, edifies not, availeth not. So Father, we ask that every heart will be attentive, remove every distraction, may the little ones be able to focus as well. Be with us tonight, we ask. Help us, we pray. Increase our faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, tonight's chapter is chapter 14, and it is of saving faith. Of saving faith. Now let us, before we actually read the first um, 14.1, I want us to do a revision because I'm trying to tie the picture in your mind for you. Your question number one is restate, or you can draw, the process of salvation to glorification. All right, salvation to glorification. I do not know, um, Jennifer, I'm not sure if you remember. Maybe you did not join us then. First of all, for our salvation, what's the first thing that happened? Say again. Election. Very good. Election. All right, I'll tie it all together with today's lesson as well. Election. After election, calling. The effectual calling, right? Effectual calling. Now, after effectual calling, we have. Say again, Terry? No, remember. Say again? Uh, no, the, the process. What's the next one? Say again? Irresistible grace is here. Wow, so fast, forget. I'm quite serious. At the end, we will do an overall examination. Justification. Very good. Justification. Maybe by 15th chapter, we do a revision. All right? Justification. After justification? Excellent. Sanctification. I say examine, suddenly all remember. <laughs> sanctification. And after sanctification, easy. Glorification. Right? Um, glorification. 
Okay, so now this is God, God, God electing, choosing before the foundation of the world. At some point in time, God calls us, right? God calls us with an effectual call. Is it a normal call? It is a special call for the believer. Every time we hear the gospel, there's a general call. But for the elect, God will issue a special call that is effectual. We will respond. We experience that. And then at that point, God justifies us. And then after that, this point of salvation, then after that it is we grow, sanctification, right? We keep growing. Now at justification, is there sanctification? Before that. Justification is what is justification? Anyone remember? Colin? Very good. We are made righteous. Alright? We are made righteous. And how righteous? How righteous? Righteous enough to go to heaven? Yes. Alright? That's why sometimes we say how to remember justification. Justification is just as if we have not sinned. <laughs> Understand? Just if. Justification. At that point, it's just as if we, are, we have not sinned. When God justifies us, we can go to heaven immediately. How come we can be justified as if we have not sinned and immediately ready for heaven? Why? How come? Anyone remember? Alex, remember? How, how come at justification, we are immediately ready for heaven? How can that happen? Just as if, justification, just as if we have not sinned. Very good, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God imputes, right? Whose righteousness? God imputes Christ's righteousness. So, when God effect that effectual call, because we're going to see faith huh, today, when God effect that effectual call, we believe. At that point, God justify by doing what? Imputing the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon you. He stamp the righteousness of Christ and clothe us in the righteousness of Christ. That's why it's just as if we have not sinned. That's why we can go to heaven. It's Christ's righteousness, right? Now, this is... So, but at this point, what kind of sanctification occurs? Anyone remember? Caleb? Very good. At this point, positional sanctification occurs, right? Positional sanctification. And after that, what kind of sanctification is ongoing? Huh? Progressive, right? Progressive. Now, I'm going to link it all together for you after. Progressive. Progressive sanctification. Okay? Where? So today we're going to study about faith. Right? So we did this revision. Now we read this. Let's read 14.1 together. The grace of faith. Are you on your notes? Let's read together. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word by which also and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer it is increased and strengthened. Okay, so now we go part by part. Now you have to understand 
faith. Okay, understand faith. Now, first of all, the first statement is the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. When did your soul get saved? Is your soul saved at election? You're chosen. That actual saving occurs at this effectual call. You respond and then justify, right? So where is faith? Saving faith. Where is it? It is at justification. Very good. So it is when God calls and then at this point, I'll use another color. Now, faith occurs here. Saving faith. Now, saving faith occurs here. God calls you. Saving faith is exercised. Because saving faith has made ex is exercised, God justified because you believe. Understand that? But the question is this. Point number one, the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe. The elect, you are an elect. You are the elect. How come an elect will believe? The Westminster, and you will see the Bible verses, rightly say the grace of faith whereby you are enabled as an elect to believe. This is an enabling. Enabling that comes from where? Please look at your notes. Enabling to believe is the work of the Spirit. Understand that? So, can you see what's happening here? At this point, when God calls, who enables you to believe? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in you and you believe. Hmm? To the saving of your soul because you are in elect. Now, this salvific faith, salvation faith, you notice that the Westminster Divine calls it, calls it what? What kind of faith? It's a grace of faith. Understand? It's a grace. The grace of faith. It doesn't say your faith whereby the elect is saved. He said the grace of faith. What is grace? Grace is something that we do not deserve, but God gives, right? So in other words, faith is a gracious gift of God. Our desire, our ability to believe is from God. Proof, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. All right, so this is point number 2 uh, now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Now, this is important because um, if you don't get this right, we have a distorted concept of saving faith and we don't give glory to God. Let's read Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 together. Reading, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now here the apostles the apostle rightly pointed out the believers understanding the believer's knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, the enlightening of the eyes is all something that 
that is given by God. Now you read Ephesians 2.8 with me now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Reading together. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. How are we saved? By grace. Is that all? Through faith. And this faith, to believe in this grace, both grace and faith, it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. The, the faith to believe in His grace is a gift of God. In other words, at this point, you and I, when God calls, even with the special call, you and I would not believe, we would not put our faith, neither can we understand God's word or want to accept Him. God must use the Holy Spirit to work in us and give us the faith to believe. Please understand that. Okay? Because this is what Scripture says. Is faith something that you exercise? Is the faith... We always say grace is God-given, God right? But the Bible tells us the faith to exercise um, trust in that grace is also a gift of God. Um, question number two. Faith to believe, to be saved, is a what? It's a gift. Very good. It's a gift. I want us to write that down and be very clear. It is a gift. Why must this be so? Why must God make faith a gift? Now, I had a very long conversation with someone two, three hours recently, a couple of weeks back. And um, the person cannot accept, though he's a believer, he cannot accept that faith is from God. He said that no, faith is I believing in God. I believe. That's why it's my faith. I believe that God died for my sins. I believe. I say no. Um, scriptures tell us that God must give us that faith. It is a gift. Now, I ask you why. Because we studied this in chapter 4, I think, or chapter 6. Why must God give us that gift? Otherwise, we will not believe. Anyone remember? Very good. Total depravity. Remember we studied total depravity? What is total depravity? Is total depravity, the moment I'm born, I will go and kill people, I will burn down people's houses, I will, I will rob banks, I will do all sorts of wicked things. Is that called total depravity? No, we define, right? Because when I say total depravity, the person says, no, man is not totally depraved because they do not understand the meaning of total depravity. Man has goodness, the earthly goodness of doing something kind to someone, yes, but it is still always with a motive that is for self. Right? Now, what is total depravity? Anyone can define that. Anyone? Incapable of doing good. But the people may say, but my friend gives money to charity and he's not a believer. Yes, 
total depravity is the inability to choose anything that is righteous in God's eye. It can be righteous in man's eye, but not God's righteousness. For example, total depravity is we will never choose God. Let's turn to some passages because I ask you, why must, why must God make it a gift? Quote the verses. All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Shall we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 together? So you can write the answer, Ephesians 2, 1. Reading, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, this is God's description of a human being before salvation. Quickened means made alive. All right, give you life. God gave you life. Who were dead in trespasses in sin. Why does God use the word dead? Dead means we will not respond. Understand that? A dead man does not respond to calling. Someone who is dead, you stand there and shout with a megaphone right next to the ears, the person does not respond because he's dead. That's what God is trying to say. No matter how God calls, we are dead in sin, dead in trespasses. But God quickened us. God gave us life. So a dead person, we were dead. We will never respond. That's, that's God's um, um, explanation of our state. That's why He needs to give us that gift. The second one, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. I want us to be settled in our hearts. The faith to believe is God's gift and give glory to God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Shall we read together? And you, being dead, in your sins and uncircumcision of your heart hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses now here again God describes to us the state of our souls of our being before we were saved we are dead spiritually all the calling all the shouting God makes we will not respond because we are as dead men Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. So these few key verses, you must have it in your heart. Every time you start to think, I think I chose God. Let us make sure it is not possible for us to choose God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans 3, 10. Let's read 10 to 11 together. Uh, actually, let's read 10 to 12 together. 10 to 12. Um, reading, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all that together becometh unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, notice the word no, not one. There is none, no, not one. Is repeated. None, no, not one. God says, number one, none righteous. None of us would choose to do anything that is righteous in God's eyes, including choosing Him for salvation, believing in Him. God says there is none. By the way, this is a quotation of Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament people. Number two, God said there is none that understand. Means... None of us can understand the gospel. 
None of us can understand that we are sinners or acknowledge that we are sinners. And there is none that seeketh God. Means none, no human being that is ever born will in himself say, I want to know God. I want to find Him. I want to know this righteous God. God says none. None. All right? Without exception. That is the meaning of total depravity. All right? We will not seek after God. We will not do anything that is righteous towards God. And finally, it says they are all gone out of their way. Means we are all moving away from God. We will never walk in anything, do anything that God wants us to do, including belief in Him. They are all gone out of their way. Means God says, I want you to come this way. I am the way. Respond to me. I'm the way. But God says, none of us. Instead, all of us have gone out of the way. Understand that? So, now I ask, I ask, I make sure you understand because we have to give glory to God that we did not choose God. Be very clear. Scriptures are abundant with, with verses that tells us God must give this gift. We must settle in our hearts. Faith is salvation. Faith is a gift of God. Alright, first. Maybe I try someone. Why must God give saving faith? Uh, ben, name, an, name a reason. Because we'll never want to believe. Name a verse. You can look at your notes, it's okay. <laughs> Which verse? Oh, name a verse, yes. Yes. Um, what about Eugene? Why must God give us the gift of saving faith? Are you convinced? So why? <laughs> Say again. Give one reason. Hmm? We will not choose God. Taken from which book of the Bible? Very good. Romans 3. What are the reasons? Terry. What's my first reason? <laughs> I have a feeling no one is paying attention. <laughs> I talk so slowly, you know, for 15 minutes on this. Uh, pay. Very good. Because we are dead. Alright, because we are dead. Now we must know our faith. Why must God give us this gift? Why do people resist? Number one, God must give this gift because we are dead. We will never respond. A dead man cannot respond. So God must give the gift of faith. The second one is Romans chapter 3. Many of them, many verses. We won't choose God. We won't go in God's way. Uh, we won't seek after God. And we cannot understand. Even, even the gospel explained to you in the most explicit and clearest way. The Bible says, None understandeth. You see, they cannot understand. So when we think that when the gospel was preached, I sat next to my close friend. I believed because I understand. My friend did not believe because he just cannot understand these things. Is it true? It is not I, but the Holy Spirit at this point comes in us, gives us a gift to understand. And that is the and after we understand, we will believe. 
Okay? Because the friend next to you can understand. You say, do you understand? I understand. What is it about? Jesus claimed he's God, the person tells us, and then he died on the cross three days, he arose later. I understand. But he will not believe. He will not exercise faith. How come you exercise? Not because you're better than someone else and you chose to exercise. It's simply the gift of God. Alright? So we settle in our hearts. And if someone argues and says, no, these are verses that are very clear. We must give what to God? Give glory to God. It is a bit like your parent brought you up. Your parent used money to bring you up, take care of you, you almost died, and then your parents brought you to hospital, look after you and all that, and after they say, no, I don't recognize that they did anything for me. It's very, very terrible thing to say, right? So you must accept and be very clear. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled, we are enabled, we are not able, we are enabled to believe to the saving of our soul is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Understand that? Now, point number two, can you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 together, reading um, together. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. It's the spirit of faith. How do we get faith? Because the spirit of faith works in us. That's why it's called spirit of faith. So you have another name for the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit, the Comforter. Here we have the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Faith. All right, so that is clear. Then the next question is this: The Holy Spirit came and worked in your heart. How did He work? The Westminster rightly points out. Let's look at point number one wrought by the and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word let's turn to romans chapter 10. romans chapter 10 verse uh, 14 and 17 reading together romans 10 14. how then shall they call upon in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this is how it is explained. God calls. Now this is your... Not very good at drawing this. Alright. This is called your year. Your years. How did faith came? It came by hearing, hearing, I guess seeing. You read God's word, you hear it, you, you hear God's word in your mind. When you read it, it's, you're hearing it in your mind. Or someone speaks the gospel to you, you're hearing it. How does faith, how does the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, give that gift in you? Through the word, the preaching of the word. Ordinarily. Ordinary. Why do you want to say ordinarily? 
it is not something that is you're going to sit there and meditate. Means no God's word. You sit there and just meditate. By meditating and by thinking and by um, my creativeness, I can figure out who God is. And then I can have faith in Him. No. Okay, you can sit there like that. Okay, you sit there with your leg crossed and your arms like that. And then you um, 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 um. Alright, for 100 years, you will still not believe in God. You cannot find God. It is true. The faith that, is, that comes by the hearing, by the word of God. Understand that? So the, how does the Holy Spirit at this point give that gift in you that help you to understand and get saved? He used the word of God. Okay? Let's be clear. That is why I asked you this question. Why is lifestyle evangelism insufficient to save a soul? Why is it insufficient? You know what's lifestyle evangelism? Lifestyle evangelism means you go to work, you live a very, very righteous, good Christian testimony life, and then you say by that lifestyle, people, I want to evangelize people. Is that alone enough to save souls? Not enough, because saving faith cannot occur without the word. Understand that? There must be the word. So you be the best Christian in the world as long as they do not have the gospel, the word of God explained to them. They don't hear it or they don't, you don't give them to read it and they hear it in their minds. They cannot be saved. Why? They can look at you, you're the best example of a good person. Then they look at a Buddhist. The Buddhist is even better example than you. Then how? How can a person be saved? He must know a few things, right? He must know that he's a sinner. Because he may just emulate your life, that's all. Can he get saved by emulating your life? No. He must know he's a sinner. He must acknowledge that he's a sinner. God's word must tell him. You must tell him you are a sinner. The gospel. You must tell him that Jesus Christ died for your sins. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. It must be told. Understand that? That's why none of us should go to work and ease our conscience. I've been a very good Christian at work. I evangelize them. But usually because we are very ashamed, we are fearful, we dare not share the gospel. And then we ease our conscience by saying, this is by my lifestyle, I evangelize them. It's just the beginning. Your lifestyle, I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. But you must pray, God, give me one opportunity sometime that this boss of mine, this colleague of mine, I can bring the gospel so that you can hear the gospel and then faith has saving faith because saving faith faith comes by hearing and hearing not hearing man's word not hearing um 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 but hearing the word of god understand that that's why it's important you must understand at this point how a person gets saved the word the holy spirit the work of the Spirit, the gift, is all happening at this point. Understand that? Okay. Now, next I ask this question. What are the three elements to strengthen faith? Now, you look at your notes. Now, then brought by the ministry of the Word, let's read the second part together. By which also, and by the administration of sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. What is increased and strengthened? What is increased and strengthened? Faith. 
right? Faith is increased and strengthened. So I ask you, what are the three elements that strengthen faith? We already spoke about one, the ministry of the word, right? What's the second one? Sacraments, very good. What's the third one? Prayer. Okay, three things. Now, how can your faith be increased? By the word. You know little of God's word, your faith will be little. You know much of God's word, your faith will be increasing. Um, but at this point, I have to make clear one thing. You must make clear one thing. And you must differentiate this clearly in your mind. I just spoke about positional sanctification, right? Justification, positional sanctification, sanctification, progressive sanctification, right? Now, we just say faith occurs at this point, right? Faith occurs at this point. Faith. And I call this, for example, I call this saving faith. Now, saving faith. Must, so it says faith increase and strengthen. Must saving faith be strengthened? Do you understand my question? Must saving faith be strengthened? No, right? Why do you say no? Because if your faith needs to be strengthened, your saving faith needs to be strengthened, means you're still a bit doubtful whether about your faith, just your, about God, and can God justify you? Because you have not put your faith in Him. So, but here it just says, the grace of faith, the beginning, right? Look at your one, uh, 14.1. The grace of faith, then you jump to and the end, it is increased and strengthened. How? How do I understand that? You either believe Jesus is God, you believe Jesus is not God. At the point where you're still wondering if Jesus is really God, can you be saved? They say, wait, wait, let my faith be strengthened to really believe in Jesus is God. At that point, are you saved? No. A believer who is responding to the effectual call has the gift of the Holy Spirit of, of, um, of, of faith, will believe 100%. I embrace him 100%. At that point, yesterday he just said, these people are stupid for believing in, the, in Jesus Christ. And, at the, and then the next day when he believed in Jesus Christ, you take a gun and point at his head and you say, you must not believe in Jesus is God. The person will say, you can shoot me, but I cannot deny that Jesus is God. Right? Saving faith is like that. So how come the grace of faith is increased? Because there are, we need to differentiate, there are two kinds of faith mentioned in the Bible. What are the kinds? You know already. What is it? Two kinds of faith in the Bible. Hmm? What's sanctifying faith? Saving faith, okay, or what kind of faith? Right, the saving faith. You, uh, Cheryl, remember? Two kinds of faith. Very good. Someone, someone, hit, someone shouted, objective faith. What's the other one? <laughs> subjective faith. <laughs> Alright. What is subjective faith? You can also call it what kind of faith? Very good. Experiential faith. 
experiential faith. Now here, when I say, listen carefully, is it wrong? Ah, actually, I asked question number seven. Question number seven. Does saving faith need to be strengthened? We just said no, right? Either you believe or you don't believe. How to strengthen more belief that Jesus is God? Either you believe he's God or you believe he's not God. Now, does saving faith need to be strengthened? Explain your answer. Okay, I try one person. Uh, hang on. Ah, actually, the Adelphi ladies must know. Uh, let me see. Sarah. <laughs> what is salvation? What is salvation? Saving faith. What is salvation? Uh, no, salvation is being saved. Right? Ah, now we get it. So what is salvation? Salvation is... I want to ask, I don't want to tell you, because when I tell you, you're just listening and then just dozing off. When I ask, then you panic, then you listen, then, ah, oh, yeah, I got it wrong. Then you remember from here on. Alright, so when I pick you, it's because I want you to learn. So, now, salvation is what? Please define salvation. Salvation is being saved. Leah. Ah, you see, whenever we think of salvation, we always think salvation is being saved in Jesus Christ. Now, okay, then I ask a, a, a full-on question. What is the meaning of being saved in Jesus Christ? Because we are talking about saving faith. We must understand what is saving faith. What does it mean to be sa saved in Jesus Christ? Say again. Excellent. Alright, so can you complete the sentence? Saving faith is... Salvation is being saved from the penalty of sin. Wait. So saved from the salvation is salvation is being saved saved from the penalty of sin. Penalty of sin and and what, uh, Rachel? <laughs> See, everyone only remember this part. I'm safe from the penalty of sin. I'm safe and I'm going to heaven, right? Very good. Grace remembered. The power of sin. Please remember, from now onwards, I wish I can climb up and stand up somewhere and say so that when I say this, you remember, ah, I remember he stood up on the chair and he said that. From now onwards, remember, when we say salvation, please do not only think about being safe from hell, from penalty of sin, which is hell, judgment. Please think about it as also being safe from the power of sin. So next time, Rachel, you cannot say, I forgot the second one. Rachel, what's the second one? Power of sin. Okay. Why do I say it's very important to... Remember both. Because when you look at this chart, being saved from the penalty of sin occurs where? Very good. At justification. Wow, this is getting really convoluted. At justification. How often does it happen? 
once. Being saved from the power of sin, where does it happen? Huh? Sanctification. The rest of our living life on earth. Do you understand that? We must, as Christians, from now onwards, be very clear, God saved me. It means God saved me from the penalty of sin. But we should be more focused now because the rest of our life is about being saved from the power of sin. Understand that? Why do I want to say that? Because, as the Westminster Divine rightly pointed out, it says, this faith has to increase and be strengthened. This faith has to be increased and be strengthened, right? What is this faith that needs to be increased and strengthened? Saving faith, which is penalty of sin, or saving from the power of sin? That needs to. It's this one. Understand that. In other words, if I link again, penalty of sin has to be linked, is linked with positional sanctification, right? What about power of sin, being saved? Saving faith. Is saving faith only about going to heaven? No, saving faith is also about... Saving faith is also about being saved to live that progressive sanctification, growing more and more like Christ. We need faith that saving faith from the power of sin to be more and more sanctified. Can you understand that now, very clearly? Why is this chapter on faith important? Because we need to understand, we need faith to increase in our life in order that our lives are more and more sanctified saved more and more from the power of sin by exercising faith, not salvific faith, but this faith in order to grow. And this faith must grow. We must understand that. So if I ask you in another way, ask you another way, why is faith important for the Christian? Answer at the end. Actually, the answer is at the end. The, the verse is there. Alright, so now question number six is what? What is meant by the word salvation? Being saved from the penalty and the power of sin. Alright? So let us be very clear. So as much as you have positional sanctification, you have um, justification, you also have progressive faith that is growing for progressive sanctification. Okay? Now, let's move to the next part. I asked you, I also asked you this question. So in order for this faith to grow, in order for this faith to grow, you need three things. What are they? Ministry of the Word. Two, sacraments. Three, prayer. You want your faith to grow? These three things. Okay? Let's go one by one. How does the word increase your faith? How does the word increase your faith? How does the word, the ministry of the word, the word being ministered to you, how does it increase your faith? Leah, how does the word of God increase our faith? Yes, when you know God's word, you know God more, right? When you know God more, will your faith increase? 
you begin to say, hey, God is like that. Why do I need to worry, right? God is omnipotent. Why do I need to worry? Is your faith increased when you know that God is omnipotent? Yes. He can do all things. And does your faith increase when God is omniscient? How? Grace. You nod your head. How does God's omniscience increase your faith? Excellent. How does knowing God's word, God is omniscient? How does it increase our faith? God, as Grace said, knowing that God knows all things, therefore we can trust Him. When you pray, God answers this way. Can you trust Him? God is omniscient. I can trust Him. Knowing God increases our faith. To know God, you have to know His word. Get to know His word. Number two, how does sacraments increase your faith? You know, what are sacraments? I ask, what are the two sacraments, Colin? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. The two sacraments. How does sacraments increase your faith? Okay, let's try first. Baptism. How does baptism increase your faith? Now, I want to, I want to link bapti- sacraments strengthening the positional sanctification part your salvation, salvific faith. How does sacrament increase your salvific faith? You can only answer that if you know what is baptism. What is baptism? Hmm? What is baptism? Water ba- ah, yes, thank you. What is water baptism? What does water baptism signify? Say again, Cheryl. What does it signify? You said something. Outward showing of an inward faith, right? All right, we all know the right answer. Baptism is the outward expression of our inward faith. What has water got to do with it? <laughs> Why do people sprinkle water or pour water? Very good. It represents. Something. It represents something. It representing the word of God. The word of God saying what? Um, that we are his children. How how do we become his children? Because of water. Very very good. All right, Alex said because of cleansing. The water is cleansing. What does it mean? It is an outward expression of my inward faith that I am a child of God. Because there's water. The water reminds us of what? What do you use water for? Cleansing. When the water reminds us, my outward faith is what? My outward faith, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Or rather, my inward faith is, I have been washed by Christ and positionally sanctified. Forever I'm saved. When Christ washed us, we are fully righteous and going to heaven. Understand that? So whenever you see baptism, why does sacrament increase your faith? When you, are, when you think of water, baptism, you think of the water, you are reminded that Jesus Christ has washed you. And because Jesus Christ has washed you, it does not depend on your works at all. It's purely He washed you. It's just like you're dirty. And then you try to clean yourself, you know you just can't clean yourself. You have to go to mommy, mommy, please bathe me. And when mommy bathes you, it's very clean. <laughs> 
It's simply that water baptism, what is the meaning of my, in, my outward expression of my inward faith? You're saying, Christ has washed me and I'm totally clean. And I will go to heaven because it is not dependent on my cleaning myself, my works. It's totally Christ has washed me once and for all. And I'm going to heaven. Understand that? That is what baptism is about. But how does baptism increase your um, sanctification, sanctifying faith? How does it increase that? The second part of baptism, first is to say, I'm washed once and for all, I'm going to heaven. Understand that? Where's the second one? No, the second part of baptism. Say again? Accountability to church. Um, Yes, because you enter the covenant, you enter into the covenantal family, and now there's accountability, right? When you know have you, you have accountability, does it increase your sanctification? Suddenly you say, I'm accountable now, you know. I cannot anyhow live. Live anyhow. So you know, speak the Singaporean way. I should not live anyhow. I must be a good example. Then we control ourselves, right? Does that sanctify you? Because he said, I made that testimony before men that I follow Christ from now on, leaving the world behind. That is the second part of baptism because it's called a new creature. Wash and become a new creature, baptism. Does it increase your sanctification? You must understand the sacraments, then your sanctification will grow. Now, what about Holy Communion? Wow, this is not going to finish. Okay, I tell you what, Holy Communion we do during Holy Communion, then sacraments, alright? Does Holy Communion increase your sanctification? Here it tells us it does. Is it simply by eating the biscuit and drinking the juice? Of course not. Alright, otherwise we think we should, buy, we should eat bigger piece. Whoa, I'm going to grab one whole big mouthful, you know? This will make me more sanctified. I'm going to take a few cups at one time. Is it the, is it the elements? Of course not. How does it sanctify us? We'll do that during the... How does it increase our faith? We do that in the chapter on sacrament. If you're impatient, then you listen to my message I preached in um, Melbourne, where I spoke on, in Bethel, where I spoke on the sacraments. All right, so now we finish point number one. Um, okay, the reason why um, the sacrament increase our faith is you underline point number four. Can you see point number one? Subscript number four. Do you see Romans 4.11? Romans 4.11? Circle that one. That's the sacrament part. Okay? But we will not have time for that. We will do it when we do sacraments. Now, point number two. 14.2. Let's read together. By this faith. Let's read together. By this faith, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. For the authority of God Himself, speaking therein, and acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon the principal acts of, uh, sorry, sorry, of Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Okay, let's break it up part by part. Okay, now first, 
by this saving, by this faith, by this faith, the Christian believe whatever is revealed in the Bible is true. I ask you this question. Um, WCF, in your paper, 14.2. Is faith, no, faith is seeing, is believing, or believing is seeing? Believing is seeing. Alright? Ilhua says, believing is seeing. Is seeing, is believing, is that the Christian faith? No. For the Christian, in order to see, in other words, to understand what God says, to, to see His truth, see as in understand and accept, first of all, you must believe. In other words, which comes first? Now I ask you, do you have faith first? Then you can believe the gospel and be saved. Or do you believe the gospel first? Then you have faith, saving faith. Which one? First or second one? First one, very clearly. So we must understand that. In other words, we are, we are nimkampoops. You know, recently I this, met this um, Englishman. So long I never heard this word nimkampoop. And it's like, wow, just stupid people. This is English. Now, we, we are absolutely stupid. God says, none understandeth. And God says, first he must give us belief, faith. Then when the gospel is preached to us, ah, I can see. Understand that? And here the Westminster Divines rightly pointed out, not only we can see for a believer, a believer will believe whatsoever is revealed in the word to be true. I want to ask you the meaning of a believer. How do you know? My friend is a believer. How do you know? My loved one is a believer. I'm not saying this is a, the only test, but the Bible is very clear. Those that believe in God, the believer will believe everything in the Bible. Now, there's a difference between I believe everything in the Bible versus I understand everything in the Bible. Understand that? You cannot say, oh, you don't understand everything in the Bible, you're not safe. If God says, I created the world, you embrace it. If God says, if any man love father and mother more than me, he's not worthy to be my disciples, you accept it. Yes, I must love God more than my father and mother. You know, before you are saved, if anyone preached to you, you must love God, this Christian God, more than your father and mother. What will you do? First, take out your shoe, throw at the preacher, right? Go out, pick up your shoe, then walk out. <laughs> right? That's what you do. So, this is ridiculous. If, before you are saved, then I preach, we must give one-tenth. We must tithe. Not tithing is stealing from God. What you say? Oh, these Christians are money, money face, cheaters. Make sure I tell my children never go to church again, right? But the moment you get saved and you hear that, 
You may be reluctant, but you will say, I have to accept this, I want to accept this, I want to do it. It's an immediate change. A believer, by this faith, by this faith that God gives, the saving faith, you will believe. You believe doesn't mean it's easy to accept, but you won't fight and you say this is false. When you tell the person and he says, I cannot believe that Jesus walked on water, it is impossible. I cannot believe that um, a Christian should obey the word of God 100%. I cannot believe that the Bible is absolutely true when God talks about this thing. I still wonder, maybe at all these are really fables. Now, that is very dangerous. It's very doubtful. I only do want to believe this part. This part I really don't think is believable. When God gives saving faith, one of the signs is the person will believe all things. That's why I ask you the question, what is one thing that you can read on this world, in this world, in this universe, without putting your guard up at all, without fearing at all, without wondering if it is true at all? You know, when you watch TV, news, when you read books, your, your guard is always a bit up, right? Right? You always say, hey, is that true or not? Especially when you've been watching the presidential debate. <laughs> really? You see, wonder. But for the Christian, when it comes to God's Word, you totally read it with your guards down and just embracing it. Alright? This is what faith is. Why? Because, look at point number two, for the authority of God Himself speaketh therein. In other words, you believe it is the Word of God. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2, please. Why would a believer believe like that? First Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, this is a sign of a believer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Shall we read verse 13 together? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Reading. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye rejoiced, ye received, not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, when the Thessalonian Christians, they heard the apostles' words, they, when they read the apostles' letters, Paul said, I really thank God. Why did he thank God? Because he said, you are a believer. What is the sign that you are a believer? Is you receive the word, not as our human words. You automatically believe that this is the word of God. I trust fully and I accept. Okay? So that is a believer. Now this is different from difficult to understand, I don't fully understand. But for the true believer, alright, so have this attitude as a believer. Let all men be, Rachel, let all men be, boys. <laughs> let all men be, liars, and God be, true. Right? That is the Christian attitude. Let all men be liars, but God be true. In other words, when I read God's word, I don't understand. And men tell me that's why it is false. Please let him be a liar. I don't understand. It seems to have errors. Seem, huh? It seems not to tell you, but I believe God is always right. It's just that I do not understand it now. Understand that? That is the attitude of what? Faith. 
faith in God. Understand that. It is something that is missing today. Right? The desire to question, the desire to cast doubt is very strong. Recently, I had to correct one of the Sunday school material. The, the attitude today is to cast doubt on the Word of God because it's not believable. So one of the passages for the Sunday school teacher was this, something along this line. Lazarus was in the cave. Lazarus was all tied up. It would not have been possible for Lazarus to come out and then left it as that, and that's it. <laughs> there was no explanation. It's like, come on, how is it possible for Lazarus to come out? There was no clarification at all. There are many um, Bibles at the footnotes. They cast all these kind of questions. This passage could not have been true. This passage could not have been right. All right? So, let all men be liars, but God be true. Now, next, actually, I'll ask you a question. Eh? Why was the cave on Easter? Why was the cave open? You know? Why was the stone rolled away by the angels? You never thought of it, right? Maybe I preach it this Easter. Right, so I won't tell you now. <laughs> you go think about it. Why, was, why did the angels roll away the stone? Okay, next. Now, say again, so that Jesus can come out. <laughs> Alright, so next, next thing. Um, and Okay, now the next part. And acteth differently upon that which particular passage thereof containeth. What does it mean? And acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth. This is not to say he act opposite to what the Bible says. Eh? Acteth differently means now he begins to act differently. Simply because the Bible tells him he needs to act differently. Understand that? Okay, that is what it means. Please nod your head if you understand. Okay, maybe you don't understand. He acts, a person acts differently upon each passage. Means this used to be his life. Now he read this passage. And upon knowing this passage, he changes his life. Understand that? Okay, this is what it means. So, a person, so the believer in exercising faith will change his life. So I ask you this question. Hey, before that, I ask question number 11. Um, why should a believer believe everything in the Bible? Because we read Thessalonians. Because it is the word of God and not the word of man. Understand that? If it's the word of man, please choose not to believe it. If it's the word of God, let's believe it. That's why a believer should believe everything in the Bible. Simply because God said it. God is truth. Question number 12. So now, this passage, this verse rightly tells us we, we can read many verses. You're a new creature. You used to walk that in your, in, your, in your times past. You used to live that lifestyle. But today you do not live that lifestyle and all, right? Many passages. We act differently from now onwards upon reading God's word. What has faith to do with it? What has faith to do with it? Why does the Westminster Divine want to say a Christian by this faith acts differently now? Say again? Um, not yet. We'll cover that later. Experiential faith. It's, it's related. You're correct. 
Now, what has faith to do with you reading the Word of God and now you choose to act differently? Douglas, huh? say again. Say again. Because God's word is true. Because we have faith that God's word is true, and that's why we change our lives. Because God's word is true. Do you ever, did it ever occur to you when God says, for example, do not work on Sunday, right? The Sabbath, the people went out to collect food. What was the problem? Was it a problem, simply a problem of, uh, of a wanting food? What did they say? If we don't collect today, what are we going to eat tomorrow, right? Now, if they believe, but God says, don't worry, you don't have to collect for the seventh day. Or you collect double, and they won't spoil. But they say, but we've been collecting six days now. Every day is spoiled. Then God said, alright, for, for the sixth day, you collect double amount. Then say, ah, tomorrow she'll spoil it. Because by experience, the food spoil, right? By experience, the food spoil. For six days of experience, the food does spoil. But simply because God says it will not spoil. Why would you change your behavior? You would change your behavior because God's word is true. In other words, you're putting your faith in God's word. What I'm trying to say is this. Your faith, my faith, is very, very crucial for us to grow, to obey God, to do what God says. When our lives don't change, very often it's because we have no faith. At the bottom line, if God's word is true, why don't we do it? The next time you don't want to obey, you say, no, if I do this, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose that, this is going to happen, everything is going to blow up. No, 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 it doesn't make sense. Then you have to remind yourself, what do I need to have? Faith that God's word is true, and therefore, let me simply change my life. All right? Can be any choice in life. Can be God's will for you in your life. If God has built something for you, when we refuse to change and we still want to go this way or have this or do that, and we still insist on it, it is not only disobedience, it is an act of faithlessness. Okay? I don't have faith that this, God said, this is His will for my life. I have faith this is the best for me. And therefore, I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to go the other way. I'm not going to do anything to change this. Because I must have faith. Faith exercised increases your sanctification. All right? Your progressive sanctification. So, so they, they, they are very wise. They put by this faith. You believe everything that God says is true because God, the authority, is saying it, and therefore I act differently from now onwards. If God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If God says the things of the world perishes. If God says, set your affection on things above. God says, I will reward you. God says, this thing you store up, they'll be eaten up by moth. You want to believe it? Say, yes, now I change my life. I change my focus. Now I no longer live for my job, for my promotion. I live for serving God. Then you know, 
and acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth. Understand this statement now. Next. Um, there, and then he says, it's basically the same, yielding obedience to commands. Yielding obedience to commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises. Now, I ask you question number 13. Why does faith also make a believer tremble as well as rejoice? Because they rightly point out that by this faith, the believer, when he hears God's word, read God's word, will tremble at threatenings and also at embrace at promises. Why tremble at threatenings? Because, back to the same thing, God said it and God will do it. God says we continue to sin, He will chastise us, let's tremble because God will do it. I shared this, maybe here or somewhere. Someone recently had some Christians come to her home and the Christian friend wants to take her things. I like your things, they are very pretty. I want to steal them, I want to take them home. And then this girl told her, no, you cannot, you're a Christian. Stealing is a sin. And then the person says, and they say, stealing is a sin, God will chastise you, you cannot steal. And then this young girl says, no, God loves me, God will forgive me. This is the Christianity today. Teenagers are brought up like that. And she says it with full conviction. No, 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 God will forgive me because God loves me. It's okay for me to steal. There's no trembling because you don't believe that God will also chastise. Right? So we tremble as much as rejoice, embracing the promises of God. This is very important. Faith embraces the promises of God. Faith embraces the promises of God. When God promised that we live for Him, it is the best thing we believe it. You may think that, how can this be good for me? No, if we sacrifice, we obey, and there are sacrifices, belief is the best. If you don't follow that, there will be trouble. Belief, that is faith. So faith is not always positive in that sense. I believe, I want to believe in embrace, I want to believe in God's promises, I want to believe that God wants to bless me, but I don't care about, I don't have faith that God will punish me. Please have faith that God will chastise us. <laughs> Why? Because God loves us. Please have faith that God loves you. Alright? So, they rightly point that out. The verses are there also. Please um, refer to them. Now, um, embracing the promises. I wanted to say something here now. Uh, Okay, we move on first. Trembling, yielding to obedience, trembling, embracing the promises to that which is, that will come. Okay, now here, question number eight. Now he says, let's read together, but the principal acts of saving faith. Let's read together, but the principal acts of saving faith are, number one, accepting, number two, receiving, number three, resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Now, which faith are they referring to now? Look at here. They're look, looking at which faith? They're looking at saving faith, alright? It's specifically say, Saving faith. So you want to ask, what is saving faith? Are you sure you have saving faith? Jennifer, are you sure you have saving faith? If you're not sure, then tonight you can be sure because there are three things. 
Right? You underline those three things. It says saving faith are these three things. Um, you do not know if your child is saved. You do not know if your loved one is saved. Does this person have saving faith? This is the test. Three things. I think I need to... Hey, maybe I can turn around. All right. Saving faith. For God, let's say together, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. So what kind of faith is that talking about? Saving faith. All right? Saving faith. Saving faith consists of number one. What is it? Could you read to me? Accepting. Accept. Receive. And rest in. Okay? Three things. Now, do you have saving faith? Tonight, if I ask you, do you, are you very sure you are saved? How do you know you are saved? Oh, oh who did this? Three things. Actually, I've explained this many times also. Anyone can remember? What is this? The first one. What has it to do with? Have to do with? Your? Mind. What do you guess? What's the next one then? Your? Heart. Okay? Your? Will. Act. Your will. I help you to remember. When you say, whosoever believe, then they say, oh, believe. Oh, I believe. I'm going to heaven then. Always remember there is the, or just, I, I remember this, the head, the heart, and the will, the hands, the leg, the body. The high head, the heart, the will. Saving faith. Okay, you please refer to those verses. Now, this theologically has always been explained very clearly. Theologians have given all these verses now. In Acts, actually, let's turn to Acts. I'll show you. Because I remember once Uncle Bernie asked me, how can we show this? Okay. Can you read Acts chapter 2, verse 47, in fact, highlight this in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. We know these people got saved, right? We know these people got saved. They gladly received, were baptized, added to the church. Let's read together. Now, Acts 2, 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you see the three things there? They heard. They heard means they understood. Huh? They heard. What, did, what was just told to them? The gospel. Paul, Peter just preached the gospel. They heard. They heard and then they understood what Peter was saying. Can you understand without hearing or reading? You can't, right? So your, the, the mind began to wrap around the gospel. Oh, this is... Who Christ is. Oh no, we killed God. Their minds began to wrap around what Paul, what Peter explained to them. 
they began to understand the gospel. Understand that? Then what is next? What happened to them next? They were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. They know it's true. They felt the guilt of sin. Understand that? Then, what's the third one? What's the third thing they said? They did. What shall we do? What shall we do? They want to repent. They want to do something. They want to repent. Okay? This is an encapsulation of the response of one that has saving belief, saving faith. Now, so can a person be saved by... Wait, let me see how I ask it to you. Now, what are the three elements? Okay, we explain them first. Now, first of all, they must know the truth. They must know the true gospel. Understand that? If they understand the wrong gospel, they cannot be saved. Understand? And if they do not know the gospel, they also cannot be saved. They can feel extremely guilty about themselves. And they really want to do something. And they really go and make a lot of amends. Can they get saved? They still cannot get saved unless they know the gospel is they need to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Their works can't save them. So they must know the true gospel. In other words, is my relative safe? Have you really explained the gospel very clearly? Do not just hope that I'm a Christian, I've been saying a little bit of things here and there, oh, maybe hopefully she will get saved. You want a person to have saving faith, they must know the gospel. They must know that they are a sinner, they must know that there's only one God, and Jesus Christ is the only living and true God that can save them, and there's no other way, and they cannot put their trust in themselves by good works, they can only put their trust in Christ. All those things they must understand. After they understand, they must believe. He said, I believe. You can tell this to a, to a student who attends Christian school. You explain the gospel to them. You explain wrong, they can stop you. Eh? Stop, 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 that's wrong. I can tell you this is wrong. It should be like that. They can tell you the whole gospel very sharply and clearly. Hmm? You know when I was in Melbourne, Reverend Paul was sharing this, this uh, doctor. You talk to him about Calvinism, he can correct you. <laughs> you talk to him about the Bible, he can correct you. And he's correct. <laughs> he knows Calvinism inside out. You quote, you quote it wrongly, he'll say, no, that's not what Calvin meant. He can explain it to you. He knows the gospel inside out. But he don't believe. So hate knowledge alone, no use. Understand that? Can you turn to James... Uh, now, James chapter 2, verse 19. Can we read together? James 2, verse 19. Oh, James 2, verse 19. By the way, he got saved. Thank God for that. James 2, verse 19. Let's read. Uh, okay, let's read together. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Are the devils saved? They believe. They even tremble at God's word, but they're not saved. Now, 
there is this belief. Some people can even believe, they reach this point where they believe, yes, I really believe this is the true God. I've studied all religions and this God is true. Um, but I reject. I don't want to believe him. Can the person be saved? Have knowledge? Still cannot. The devils, the devils believe that there is one God. Baba says, yeah, they believe. They really know God is true and there's only one true God. They believe. They know. They tremble even. They're not saved. So some people can even tremble. Not saved. They're convinced. And also a person who knows, in his heart, he also says, not only I know, not only I'm convinced, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. And I embrace him. Just now we read, right? We'll embrace him. Alright? Convicted, believe, embrace. Okay? But is this person saved? Is this person saved? What about this part? Have you met people who are like that? I meet quite often. They really believe. But say, not today. Eh? When I'm old, I really will believe. I really want to believe, but not today, but later. I need to do these things, that thing. And you preach any other religion, they will even preach Christianity to people. Have you known that? This gentleman that, this other gentleman that I met in Melbourne, another elderly person, in fact, this doctor, who initially did not believe. He believed at, his, at the last days of his life. He actually preached the gospel to his golf khaki. <laughs> and in, all the while he's been sitting there, listening in church for many years. But he won't believe. But he's, he, he actually knows it's true, roughly. But in his heart he said, I actually, I know, but I don't really think it's true. He actually preached the gospel to his golf khaki, brought the golf khaki to church, drove him to church, insisted that he come to church, bring him to church, make him come to church to listen to God's word. That, and his golf khaki got saved and served in church. <laughs> there are people who are like that. They have all this. But this part, not willing. Not willing. Right? Saving faith have this part. Do you remember the day you were saved? And then very soon in that week, you heard the preaching. You go to church, you just want to say, what must I not do? I don't want to do anymore. Right? And you want people to tell, please tell me what, is this wrong or not? Is this wrong or not? Am I doing this wrong or not? You just want to know what is sin and you don't want to commit sin. And at the time people tell you, alright, this is sin and you need to turn away. Okay. You don't say, no lah, don't lah. I hold on to this. There is this desire to just simply obey God. You want to be clean, you want to be pure. Right? There is this will, volition, the will, the willingness to turn away from your sin and to repent. So, is your loved one saved? Are your children saved? You make sure. Can you do this part or not? Can you make sure they know the gospel? I'm not saying they believe. Huh? They know. Belief is whose work? The Holy Spirit. Who can give faith? The Holy Spirit. Make sure your little ones know the gospel very clearly in their mind. Don't assume. Don't leave it to Sunday school teacher. Make sure your 
your loved ones are on the dying bed, make sure your loved ones are very old, very sick, don't assume, explain and make sure they know it very well. Yeah? This part is up to them. This part you can do. The rest, you have to leave to God and the person. If you look at your child, you look at your loved ones, you look at yourself, you know in your heart, one part is missing. No one knows, only you know. Uh, actually, uh, all this talk, uh, I'm sitting there staring at uh, Reverend Joseph blankly, smiling, back in my heart. No lah. Huh? Or maybe some other gods. Maybe other gods are also true. Do you have ever such a thought? Anyone here ever think that I think actually maybe the Buddhist god is so true? In your heart, you say, I actually not only Christianity, but I like Christianity the most, so I come to church. But actually, other gods, I'm not going to say that they are false. Hmm? This part is a problem. So I ask you this question. Question number 15. Must all three parts, must all three parts be present? Must all three parts be present? All three parts must be present. Okay? I hope you understand saving faith today a bit better. Now we move on. Okay, now we move on. In fact, let, let me show you one thing. Can you turn to Acts chapter 24? Point number two, subscript number five. Acts chapter 24. If there is still this nagging doubt, there is still unwillingness in you. Acts chapter 24, verse 14. Acts 24, verse 14. Let's read together. Acts 24, verse 14, reading, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. This is a very, very clear um, proof of Paul's salvation. You know what Paul is saying? Remember he was arguing the pe with the people? Um, he was debating with the people, arguing with them. The people around him has been saying, Paul, this Christianity that you believe is called a what? A heresy. What you believe, Paul, is a heresy. And then Paul simply answers them. In verse 17, he simply, uh, verse what? Verse 14, he simply says this, I confess to you, you, you say I'm believing in heresies, but I simply want to tell you, openly tell you, I confess to you that this way which other people has been calling heresy, I worship, I believe this God and I believe all things. Just now we say, what is a true believer? I believe all things that are written in the Bible. Do your friends say, Rowena, you're believing in a mystical and strange religion and then in your heart. What is your response? You know that no matter what you say, it doesn't change. It won't change my belief. Yeah, you may call it backward cave religion, um, heresy, um, imagination, 
Does it affect your heart? Not at all. Your heart seems still like, yeah, you can call it heresy, but I believe everything. I don't know how to explain to you, but I believe everything. Right? That is the believer. That is why the Westminster rightly quote this. No matter what they say, it doesn't mean, oh yeah, oh no, maybe, yeah, maybe it's not true. Huh? Maybe it's not true. Even in their eyes, it's wrong. But because the Bible says it is right, it doesn't change you. But I'm just saying, like, let's say, like, if this religion is not the true religion, mm-hmm. even if they believe it and they do it, it does not affect us anyway. Yes. They will believe whatever they believe, but Paul says, I continue to believe this God. Right? This is saving faith. This is faith that, that happens to a believer. All right, let's move to number three. All right, we've got to finish. Um, Now, let's read number three together. This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, maybe often in many ways assailed and weakened, but get the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance to Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, what is he saying? First of all, it says this faith is different in degrees. Means there is different level of what? Weak or strong. Different degrees. Now, faith. What kind of faith? Huh? This is, they're not referring to false faith. Huh? They're referring to genuine faith. No, no. Alright, someone says saving faith. Is this referring to saving faith or not? Varying degrees. Cannot be referring to saving faith, alright? So this chapter has faith, 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 but you must differentiate what faith they're referring to, alright? Because saving faith cannot, cannot be varying degrees. Some believe more that Jesus has got some belief less, alright? So now, this is genuine faith. Genuine faith. What kind of genuine faith there is? Varying degrees there is. Weak and strong. We can strong faith. Okay? I have no time to show you, but please read the Bible. There are many places where, remember Christ, the, the disciples uh, want to... Okay, let's just turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31. Let's read. Please know there's strong and weak faith. Luke 22. I think this is the one. Luke 22, verse 31. Okay, let's read Luke 22, verse 31 and 32 together, reading. So now, Peter, at that point, had weak faith, right? Denied Christ, right? But was Peter a believer? Did Peter have genuine faith? You sure or not? Look at your verse carefully. When you are converted. Peter was not converted yet, you know? Did he have genuine faith? When you are converted. No, Peter was saved. 
Alright, all the while Christ, throughout always said, Peter, you're sa- Peter is saved. You have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is in you and shall be in you. All those, Peter is saved. What does this word converted mean? When you are, it means when you're recovered. You're, you have a weak faith. Now your, your faith is converted to a strong, when your faith is converted to a stronger faith. Your faith is genuine when you're recovered. Alright? Your faith is stronger. It's not like the word we use today, conversion, conversion, conversion. It's not the same meaning, alright? So don't misunderstand it. Peter was, and his faith was weak. Why? In other words, Paul, God, Christ said, Peter, why are you going to fall? Because Paul says, uh, God says, that thy faith fail not. Can our faith fail? Can a Christian's faith fail? Can genuine faith fail? Genuine faith can fail in what sense? Lillian, want to try? Can genuine faith fail? If can, in what sense? Faith is weak, correct. When the faith is weak, your faith may fail. But can genuine faith fail until a point where you don't believe in God? Can can have that kind of failure? No. Alright? That's why it's, it's weak or strong. Christians, please know, we can have weak faith. Okay? So now, look at that. Actually, all those verses are in chap- uh, chap- uh, point 3 and all those point number 10, uh, uh, 3.10, all these verses you go back and read. Repeatedly say you have strong faith, some have strong faith. I've not seen faith so strong. I've not seen faith so strong in Israel, remember? I've not seen faith so strong in Israel. Or when they were in the ship, they were afraid. And then Christ said what? O ye of little faith. But the person who had great faith in Christ in healing their child, they say, I've not seen faith so strong in Israel. So there's weak and strong faith. The centurion. Weak and strong faith. Now we read further. May be often many ways assailed and weakened. Means our faith can very often be a Siamese attack and weakened. Like Peter, his faith got attacked. Was Peter's faith in Christ being God attacked? No. It was Peter's faith in what? That he might die if he, if he embrace or if he admit that Christ he knows Christ. Fear of death. He never, his faith that Christ is God did not change. Understand that? Alright, so now. So for example, you, sometimes you face difficulties in life. Do you ever doubt that Jesus is God? You do not. But your faith is weak. You may make wrong choices. Alright? So when your faith is attacked, well sometimes people can attack your faith. Jesus is not God. Now did... John, the apostle, doubted that Jesus was Christ. He did, you know. When? When he was? In prison. Was he in prison? He had a momentarily weakness. And say, what if Jesus is not God? Can you please go and confirm? But actually, in his heart, he still believed. He just wanted confirmation. But he, he did not um, completely say Christ is not God. And denounce him. Now, faith can be attacked. Now, so now we say, next, so your faith can be attacked. Please know that faith can be attacked. But get the victory. 
growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ. Your faith can be attacked, but you can get victory, and when you get victory, it will grow. When it's attacked, you can get victory, and you can grow. You want your faith to grow? You want your faith to grow? So your faith needs to be attacked, you know? <laughs> In that sense, I put it the other way. Why does God... Okay, 16, uh, question 16. What kinds of genuine faith? You write that ready. What causes our faith to be weakened? Attacks. Don't look at things happening in your life. I hope you write this down. Don't look at things happening in your life as merely physical things. As merely physical occurrences. We always look at things happening in our life as a spiritual battle. Understand that. Always know your faith is being tested. Your faith is being attacked. Your trust in God is being attacked. It's being questioned. So when things happen, you must remember, I'm, is this an attack on my faith? Is this, it is, is this situation a trial that is trying to weaken my faith? But, but the Bible tells us when we have victory, when we experience victory. For example, God says, do not take this job. It's a sinful job. But you've been looking for a job for one year. He said, because it's a sinful job, I simply have faith that I must obey God and God will take care of things. Hmm? You just simply obey. Or you can choose Oh, sorry. And then, two years later, <laughs> you get a job, not a sinful one. And then you get a job, right? Then you have victory, right? You did not give in to sin. You have faith that God will take care of you, right? Now, with that victory, what happens to your faith? It grows. Because you act, it's called what kind of faith now? It's called experiential faith. Now, you experience when you put your faith, your trust in God, God never fails. Then the next test comes, worst test. It could be very serious, maybe whatever, a, a, a higher test. But because you remember, hey, God never, make, never failed me when I trust him. They say, I must continue to trust him. Right? Your faith is what? What is happening to your faith? You're growing. What will prevent your faith from growing? When you face a trial, when you face a temptation, you give up. You give in. Right? Where will your faith stay? Your faith keeps staying here. Right or not? It keeps staying here. Because you never experience you putting your trust in God and God being faithful. Right or not? Each victory will help you, some other to win. We sing that. But when you 
go through it. Say, God, help me to go through this. Give me grace and strength. Increase my faith. I bite the bullet and trust in you. It might be my family choice. It might be my job choice. It might be my relationship choice. It might be my family choice. Whatever. God, give me faith. I want to go through this test. And when I go through it with your help and you pass, my faith will grow. Knowing that the trial of your what? Faith worketh patience. Every time you face a difficulty in life, smile. What is that, James? James chapter 1, let's turn there. Okay, James chapter 1, let's read verses um, 2 and 3. Or 2 to 4, right? 2 to 4. Shall we read 2 to 4 together? James 1, 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, and so on. So what is James saying? We're studying faith, right? James is saying, whenever we have trials, and this word trial, when you fall into diverse temptation, is it's not one small, no, it's many. It's not only many, it's many happening at the same time. That is what is meaning diverse temptation. You lost your job. You crashed your car. You've just been told you have cancer. Your wife ran away. The, everything. This is, the, this is the description. Diverse temptation. The worst thing, so many different directions, different kinds happening at the same time. What did, Paul, what did James say? Come did all joy. Smile. Why? How can you and I smile? How can we look and say, I count it as joy? Only when we say, knowing this, verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith. Ah, God is saying, I allow all these things, the purpose, there's a purpose, it is to try your faith. This word try is like putting things, putting metal into hot furnace, melting it, testing it, purging out the thing. God said, I am purging your faith. I'm refining your faith. I'm trying to increase your faith. You may find it hard to accept or difficult, but what do we study? Faith is simply believing that God said that trials are for me to rejoice in because God intend for it to refine my faith. What is faith? I believe that it is true. Understand that? When you believe that it is true, then you can go through it with joy. In other words, it's yea. God is trying to help me grow. But if we run away, we will never, never grow. Yeah. God. Just now we studied how to increase our faith. Or her question is, when we realize that this is a test and we are in, to test our faith, is it God that help us to realize that? Or is it we ourselves realize that? That's a question, right? 
Just now, in the beginning, point one and two, we studied how to increase faith. Three things. What's the first one? Ministry of the Word. Sacraments. Prayer, right? It's God that has revealed to us in James chapter 1. So, it begins with God. God told us, right? And then when it's happening, you remember this verse. Huh? And you remind yourself, I must remind myself, this is a trial, my faith is on test now, I must pass it. You remember, right? Who helps you to remember? Right? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He brings to remembrance all things that Christ has taught us, right? Yeah, so we remember, but it's actually the Holy Spirit taking His Word to help us remember. And who told us faith is, uh, is on trial? God. And we put our faith in that. Understand that? Can? Alright, so when it occurs, and we remember, don't take pride. God is reminding me. How do you want your faith to grow? Don't run away from trials. Face it. Do what is right. Obey God. Because it's all about refining your faith until you meet Him. If not, you never grow. Yeah. Okay, so good question. Maybe I'll ask you, oh no, 9.35. Ask you, the question is this. If a person is in sin and God is chastising the person, lots of trials, does this apply? Yes, why not? Why does this not apply? Why does this not apply? When God chastises us, it is for what? Also to refine us, right? To refine our walk with Him. This is still applying. So when God chastises us, remember this verse. Repent. This chastisement is to make me repent. And when I repent and I see how God helped me out of this situation, my faith grows. I believe in God. Next time, I better believe that God will chastise me. Right? And say, I don't do it anymore. Have your faith been refined? Your faith has been refined. It's just the other part of the faith. God will chastise me. And it is no fun. It still helps you. Right? So, so I hope we understand that. So this is experiential faith. It helps us to be more and more sanctified. Now, I close by saying this. Well, 19, how should we and should we not respond? We should pray and ask God for more faith to go through the test, not run away from it. What kind of faith should we aim for? Now, this. What kind of faith what kind of faith shall we aim for? Now, we spoke of experiential faith. Now, I ask you this question. You think about it. Huh? Jennifer, you try and think. Which kind of faith is better? I experience, I have experiential faith, I experience, and then I obey and I grow. Is this the best faith? Okay, very tough for you because I want to give a second, but once I give a second, you know the answer. Maybe I'll ask you all. Because this chapter is about faith, may I ask Fiona, is this the best faith that you want to aim for? Once I ask that, you obviously know it's no, right? <laughs> it's not. Why is it not? What is the best? Jung. Jung. Obey. Obey straight away. Obey immediately. 
Okay, so Jennifer, I experience, I put faith in God. Okay, God said this, but I, I don't believe, but ah, I experience. Then you grow. Is that better or simply God says, believe me? And you say, okay, I believe, I obey. Which one is better? The second one, right? The second one. Experiential faith helps us to grow. But as we grow in our experiential faith, as we are growing, growing, you know what kind of faith you are finally trying to grow into? Since by experience, God is always true, God is always faithful, from now onwards, God, you just say, I, be I believe and I do. That's it. This is the kind of faith you're trying to grow into. Don't always argue with God. God, actually, I find it very difficult, but I don't really believe, but I know James chapter 1 said, okay, I submit. As you begin to grow, you know God is good. God is faithful. God is true. God, you say, I simply do it. That's it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say that, oh, I'm going to resist you. I simply do it. The best faith is the faith that simply, even without experience, you believe and you do. Okay? But you must have experiential faith to take you there, I guess. And then finally, look at your book, point three, the last part. Attainment of full assurance, point three, a full assurance through Christ. Remember, your full assurance is always through who? Through Christ. Saving faith is given by who? The Holy Spirit. God. The growing faith, the experiential faith, is also something that we must depend on God. Understand that. Do you remember the Bible verse I gave you on Wednesday night? You turn. You turn. <laughs> you turn. And then... I what? Remember, you turn, I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make you know my words. Right? You turn, God will help. You want your faith to grow, you act, but you need Christ. Through Christ. Faith increasing through Christ. Through Christ. But not you just sit there and simply do nothing or even resist. Right? So it's full assurance through Christ, which is both, let's read together the final phrase, both author and finisher of our faith. Author and finisher. Is Christ the author? Yes, because Christ gave you faith at the point of salvation. Finisher is talking about perseverance of, faith, of saints, right? Christ will enable us to the very end. To the very end. How do you increase your faith? Do not run away from tests. And when you are going through the tests, through Christ. Through Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. You can't finish your faith yourself. Alright, so that's, that's all for tonight. Let us close in prayer.